Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. For, for, for Christmas in our house, it's really, it's not myself that kind of feeds this kind of craze. It's more my wife. She loves presents. She'll give presents. She, that's like the way that she communicates the love is what she tells me. I mean, it does me, uh, it really winds me up because I, I hate presents. Like I'm that kind of frugal Mr. Scrooge sometimes. It's like, why are we wasting all this money and all these things, countless things? I'm like, I just, I like simplicity. But then when it comes to like, you know, a piece of technology, a TV, maybe a Sonos speaker, a computer, I think, oh, no, no, that's not materialistic. That's an investment for the future, right? That's what that is. You know, there's nothing materialistic about those items. They're important. They're needed. Um, it's amazing what we can justify in our heads uh, for our purchases. But this time of year, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. We call it a holiday season. And I don't know about you, but when I think of holidays, I think of rest. I think of relaxation. Um, and if you've got kids, that's maybe a little bit harder to find. But nonetheless, Christmas is almost the kind of the the paradox of holiday because, you know, you think of a summer holiday, you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to get away, I'm going to enjoy. But Christmas, there's a lot of pressure. I don't know if you found it, but there's an intensity about it that almost causes it to be some of the most stressful times of the year. It's this paradox about Christmas. It's a time for holiday, yet for many of us, it's going to be the most stressed that we're going to be in the year. It's a time for joy, but unfortunately, many people are going to be struggling with depression, anxiety, even loneliness. It's a time for coming together, but for some, it's going to be a time where it highlights how some relationships have grown apart, perhaps broken. It's a time for giving and receiving gifts, but some people at this Christmas won't be giving or receiving anything. It's, it's funny because in Britain, we have this kind of, this stiff upper lip kind of complexity where we, we don't really want to talk about some of the issues that are going on in our life. And when it comes to Christmas, I don't know if you're like me, but I try to ignore some of the stress and think, that's just the way it is. Like, that's just the way we have to do it. That's Christmas, right? Like, you know, it's just right that we have a Christmas tree that has to be absolutely perfect, like Home Alone, you know, that 10,000 baubles, all, you know, color-coordinated, perfectly placed and positioned. And, you know, of course, we have to be on the verge of bankruptcy just to buy all the presents for all our children. And, of course, you know, we need more food on the table than, like, we have body mass and weight that sit around the table. Like, it's crazy. Like, we almost reenact Matilda's Bruce Bogtrotter. You know, every person trying to, like, fill their stomach with everything right through to Christmas pudding. But I don't know if that's the way it needs to be. And perhaps there's a way that we could look at Christmas that could redefine it. Perhaps there's maybe a bit of a true north that can guide us through this season and even guide us through our life. Because you know what? Life is hard. And I hope you've, you know, that's not a kind of surprise to you, but it's, it's tough. And what life throws at you, We've got a lot to deal with. And so often we, we forget what true north is. So I'm hoping, you know, this morning, if you allow me, that we can hopefully leave a little bit more hopeful. That's my goal. A little bit more peaceful and possibly even a little bit more orientated the true north of what Christmas is about. I mean, I hope it's no surprise, but you, you are at Christmas carol service, so we're going to talk about Christmas and it's a church. It doesn't look quite like one, but as people have said, the church is the people. And so uh, we're going to talk about this guy called Jesus. I mean, that's what... Christmas is all about Christ coming. Our whole calendar is set up around this person called Jesus. Why is he so important? Why is there a faith centered around this person? But I want to theme my message around this. It's this that I, I can I suggest that I think we're all looking for a rest, maybe a bit of peace. And during this time of like all things that are going on, 
I believe that each and every one of us, even if it's not at Christmas, that we could do with a little bit more rest in our life. You know, maybe it's a rest from financial pressures. Maybe it's a rest from the incessant demands from your kids. Maybe it's a rest from providing towards the emotional needs of your spouse or your partner. Maybe it's a rest from the pressure and demands and expectations at work from your bosses. Maybe it's a rest from the emotional mind monsters that we're facing that torment us. What we've said, what we've done, whether that's at the Christmas party or some other point in the year, trying to figure out, you know, the redundancy we've been through, the loss of a loved one, an illness that we're facing. I believe that we all could do with a bit of rest. And the beautiful thing is Jesus came to give us rest. But when I think of Jesus, when I think about Christmas, I have the nativity scene. And I don't know who designed it, but, you know, the nativity scenes out there are frankly quite scary when you see the wooden carved things, you know, mahogany or something like that. I'm thinking, gosh, it just doesn't do it for me. I look at that Jesus, I think, you can't really help me as a little baby in a manger. But the thing is, if we stay at that, then, then it's no use. But if we realize and appreciate that Jesus, he grew to become a man. And then what he did as a man for humanity, going to a cross, dying for us, is something quite, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, it's amazing. God Almighty coming down to earth. So I want to read a couple of passages, and the first one is from the book of Matthew. It's one of the Gospels, which is basically one of the books in the Bible that have an account of Jesus' life. People who wrote it were literally walking the streets with Jesus day in, day out. They were watching him, hearing him, listening to him intently. And uh, it could also be paraphrased as the good news, the Gospel. But this is in the, Matthew, the book of Matthew, and it says, and this is Jesus speaking to his, uh, his followers. He says, Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am, an, I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me, for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. I mean, I love the sound of that. An oasis, refreshing my life, rest, pleasant, easy to please. That's the kind of thing that I feel like I could do a lot more with, a lot more with in my life. There's another passage I want to read, and it's in Psalm 23. You might have heard it if you've been to a church before, or certainly in some films that, you know, recount this. But it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Can you hear the rest in that? He guides me. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There's an abundance about it, our life. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, I believe we're all in need of, of rest. And there's just two things that I'd love to share with us this morning, just two points with the time I've got left, um, which I believe will help us experience a bit more rest in our life. And the first one is very simple. It's community. Community. It's vital. And whether you want to call it a community, a squad, a tribe, a gang, a family, a unit, whatever it might be, it's, it's a group of people coming together who are going to be some, something for one another that uh, separately they'd be weaker but together they're stronger than the sum of their parts you know in global we talk about loving people in that we have some values which is real relevant relational and robust they're kind of the values that help guide our 
relationships. And we, we chose those ones really because of that's what we see of how Jesus lived his life when he was on the planet. He was real. Like he wasn't kind of above everyone else and condescending like some Christians you may have met in your past. <laughs> you know, he was real. He was relational. He was interested in the people. He was relevant. He was totally in touch with the community. The people loved to listen and be around him. Crowds of people would follow him before the age of social media or the internet. They would want to hear what he had to say. And he was robust. He had to deal with so much of what we deal with ourselves walking through this life. You know, it's why community is powerful. It, it starts to destroy things like isolation, loneliness. That's why marriage or you know, that, that, that relationship is so powerful. Because when you're coupled with someone, it's like, I feel stronger with you at my side. But it's not completely sufficient, even a marriage, to help us, you know, get through the whole of life. Things, we need something that's stretched beyond that relationship into the wider community. I mean, we don't get to the, you know, the end of our life wishing that maybe we had earned a bit more money. You know, when we're on our deathbed thinking, flip me, I wish the bank balance was just a little bit higher. You know, we don't get to the end thinking, I wish I had a bigger office or... I wish I had a more prestigious title or a more impressive resume. No, what we wish for is that, that the people that we love are around us. And if there was anything that we wish we could change, it's probably that if we could have spent more time with those that we love. See, life is it's about relationship. And so when we build this thing called community, it's powerful. And those words, you know, they can come off the top of our tongue, real, relevant, relational, robust. But honestly, the more we let them kind of seek into our DNA and how we outlive our life, the more powerful it becomes. It's why we're passionate about church, because we get to be a part of building strong, healthy community where people are free to fail. And at the same time, we want to encourage people to take a step of, of risk or faith or whatever it might be to kind of keep moving forward. We're a source of strength and encouragement through whatever seasons that we go through. The strength of our relationships will determine the strength of our life. We were designed to be in relationship with one another. Even introverts, you know, I've probably classified myself leaning a bit more to the introvert side, but I, we need people. We can't just be in isolation. We weren't designed for that. You know, I think back to Christmas last year, and if you've got kids, you'll probably be familiar with this scenario where one of your kids walks in, runs in probably more likely, jumps on the bed five in the morning, which is far too early. You know, I've been training my kids since their birth to try and wake up later. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen when they hit teenage years. I know it's a whole different story, but, you know, when they jump in at five in the morning, I'm like, oh, come on, we need a bit more hours. I'm not ready yet for this. But I've got to remind myself that it's actually a relationship. He wants to experience Christmas with his dad and with his mum, and as much as I want to experience that with my bed, <laughs> they want me. And so, you know, I'm having to preach to myself because this is not quite ingrained in my thinking that the relationship is more important, and that is what helps us to overcome sometimes our selfishness and needs that we have, even at five in the morning. My second point is this, and I want to spend a bit more time on this, is we're missing a relationship with our heavenly Father. Our, our relationship with our heavenly Dad is vital, and you, maybe you've, you've had one in the past, maybe you've got one right now, but maybe it's about reigniting it, maybe reconnecting back with God, coming back closer but Jesus came as the, the Prince of Peace. And so when we're talking about rest, peace is like the essential ingredient to experience rest. And as the Prince of Peace, I love it because he brought peace to a few kind of key areas in our life. He brought peace that we could have peace with others, you know, that we could get along with other people. 
which I don't know is quite a hard thing. I don't know if you've been to work recently, but chances are you don't get on with everyone at your workplace. But that ability to, to get on peacefully is actually vital for us to get on in life. You know, if we have that ability to be at peace with one another, we can enjoy so much more that life brings to us. He also came to give us peace in our mind, inner peace. You know, there's a time where we've got so much mental illness, anxiety, depression, fear, worry, all kind of attacking people's minds and lives. But Jesus came to give peace in the head, peace in the mind, that we could actually stand on mental health and even move into mental wealth, where we can share some of the mental capacity that we've got in our heads with other people. It's powerful. It's amazing. I mean, we all, I don't care what your state of mental health is, we all suffer with things that attack our mind constantly, whether it's having to pay the bills, the mortgage, get through the credit card repayments, whatever it is, dealing with situations at work, handling those presentations, getting up in the morning again and again and again, putting in the extra shifts to pay for the holiday. We all have to deal with pressure on the mind. But Jesus came to give us peace to our mind. But most importantly, and this is the thing that it blows my mind is that God, sorry, Jesus came to give us peace with God. Peace back with our Heavenly Father. Now, you might not, you know, value that right now, but let me share you just a few stories about why peace with God is so good and can transform our lives so that we can experience just that little bit more rest. It's unreal. In the book of Luke, uh, Jesus is sharing a, a story with, with some of the people gathered around him. There's a little bit of a pre-context before he shares the story. It says, by this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. I wonder if you've got a bit of a doubtful reputation. <laughs> you know, the Pharisees and the religious scholars, however, they weren't pleased. No, they weren't pleased at all. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. You know, just pause for a moment. Jesus looks at each and every one of us today and he looks at us as old friends. He wants to treat you like an old friend. Even though you may not know who he is right now, how good he is, he wants to treat you like an old friend. Peace with God, we get to experience this friendship. You know, and this, this, this is the parable, the story that Jesus then goes on to share. Suppose you had 100 sheep and you lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing, and when you got home, calling your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me, I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. You see, I've experienced a version of this very scenario. I say it's a version because you might be able to spot some differences, but I just want to share it with you because I think we can learn something about this good shepherd that Jesus is talking about. In my context, you know, we have a, a nice back garden. It's, it's relatively large. It, it kind of outlooks on some fields. And, uh, you know, we have three children, you know, often outside playing, rough and tumble. Every now and then, you know, you might lose sight of a child. I mean, I know they say parents have eyes in the back of the head. Every now and then they're closed. Anyway, one of the children happened to be gone. I hadn't quite clocked that this had happened. I don't think Anna was around. So there was just me with the three boys. Well, actually two. And then suddenly I got a phone call. And this phone call, it was on a Saturday and uh, I looked, and it was one of the guys who worked at the nursery. I was like, hold on. We, we, don't, we generally don't call on a Saturday. We try and keep that to office hours. Anyway, I, I picked up the phone and said, hey, how's it going? And they were like, 
just to let you know, I've just seen, just walking towards Burbridge Road, you know, the A59, um, you know, 40, 50, 60 mile hour cars, you know, flying past. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know what? We're teaching them some road safety right now. <laughs> just getting used to like, you know, how far you have to go before you stop and mummy tells you to come back. I said, don't worry, leave it with me, put the phone down, ran outside, out the gate, and I'm like grabbing Eli by the scruff of the neck saying, get here, you. I drag him home, I give him the most stern telling off that child has ever experienced. And, um, and then there was maybe a little bit of relief and rejoicing, but probably because I thought at least he's not dead and Anna's not going to kill me next. <laughs> I mean, when I read that story, I'm thinking, come on, he's a good shepherd. In his, in his shoes, I'd be thinking, hold on, we've got 99 and one's lost. 1%. Wow, we don't need to worry about that 1%. No way. Look at these 99. We're good. I'd lost 33% of my flock, and I'm freaking out. <laughs> that shepherd's awesome. And then if I had actually gone out to find that lost sheep, I'm telling you, I would have found it. I thought, what are you doing? There's 99 who could work it out. Stay in the pen. You think, let's go wandering into the wilderness. It's exactly like my youngest son. He has no fear. I'm thinking, no, you stay close to the house. Out there's a jungle. You don't know what could happen. It's not. It's, it's inside the York Inner Ring Road, Outer Ring Road. But it's, it's, it's insane. And when I look, I think, no, that's, that's the picture of a great heavenly father, not an imperfect dad. <laughs> Who, who can lose his children. And, and I do run a nursery, but I, I promise you I don't look after the kids and we haven't lost any kids. Um, just a little caveat, put that in there. Um, I won't tell you what the nursery is called, but uh, no, I'm joking. You know, you might exclude yourself thinking, I'm not like the rest. You know, you walk in today into church and people are smiling and they're offering you tea and coffee. I mean, I was wondering where the mulled wine was. I thought that was before the church. Um, a bit of extra liquid courage to help us get through. But... You know, you're not, you know, we can think that we're alone. We can think that we're not really one of them, that we're a bit of a black sheep because of what we've done, what we've said, our past. But Jesus looks and says, no, I want to go after you. And it's powerful because he's going to go looking for you. He's going to go the distance and he's going to carry you. Like he's not expecting you to, to do it alone. He's going to carry you the distance. You don't have to do it alone. There's a point I just want to drop in and it's, it's really something that it doesn't quite, it does tie in, but it's this. You don't know what you don't know. And it can sound a bit condescending or even patronizing, but honestly, the more I've realized going through life, there are lots of things that I don't know. And because I don't know, I don't know. It's simple. You know, when you think about relationships, that first relationship you ever went into, like it was just so infatuating, like your heart's pounding. And you might have watched some romantic comedies and even Hollyoaks or Dawson's Creek or whatever sitcom it was back in your era. But actually, when you experience that relationship, it's a whole other thing. You know, if, you know, I like boxing. I like going to the, the gym to train and, and even enjoy getting in the ring doing some sparring. But compare that to actually being in a ring fighting a match, it's a world apart. I can train for an hour, hour and a half even. But when you go in a ring for nine minutes and you're on your knees gasping for oxygen, it's a world apart. You know, it's a bit like when, before I had kids, you can look at other families and think, you know, how they have their kids in front of iPads at the dinner table, you know, when they're out and about in restaurants thinking, I won't do that. Goodness, no. They're going to have eloquent conversation, even at the age of two. <laughs> they're not going to need an iPad. Well, I, I'm sorry if I've ever given anyone a disdainful glare or stare. I really hope I don't because I believe in the iPad. I believe I'm, I'm converted. Like... Kindle Fire is actually my, my mode of choice. It's a lot cheaper. You know, I'm just that Scrooge coming out again. But 
we have this idea that we know, but we don't know what we don't know. You know, we can learn about Jesus in religious education and what we've heard, but it's not the same as knowing Jesus in a relationship. You don't know what you don't know. Jesus came to rescue, to seek and to save, the Bible calls it. He didn't come to, 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 as a mission of domination. That's actually what the Jewish people wanted. They wanted Jesus to come and set up a kingdom that would overthrow the Roman Empire. But instead, he came to seek and to save. And he wanted to do something about salvaging the most precious thing on the planet. Like this is what he gave his life for. And we hear about how he died for our sins, but that wasn't the ultimate outcome that he was trying to achieve. Because by dying for our sins, it was about facilitating us and restoring us back into a relationship with our true Heavenly Father. That's why he paid the cost. It was all about relationship. It wasn't about a religion. He didn't set up uh, a religion. He didn't want to make a statement or create a cause for people to follow. He wanted to enable us to get back into relationship with God the Father. It's a relationship that surpasses all understanding. It's where we can experience peace in turmoil, where we, where we can have confidence amongst chaos. It's the most important relationship we can have on this planet. You know, we, you know ultimately, others will disappoint. Even your, your, your spouse, your partner, for how many years, they will disappoint. I mean, hello, have you had an argument recently? I mean, I hope you have, because I just thought that was normal. <laughs> we all have arguments, and that's because we're different. It's not a bad thing. We're trying to get on the same page. But there's something about God who knows us intimately, inside and out. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He, he formed us in our mother's womb. He created us. And yet he wants to be in a relationship with us. The qualities of God are this. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He'll never let you down. He is good. He's faithful. He's merciful, i.e. He forgives when we do things wrong. He's gracious. He gives us things that we don't deserve. He's loving, and that love is unconditional. It's not based on our performance or our merits or how good we've been. His love is unconditional. He's powerful. He's not weak. He's the creator of the universe. He's compassionate. His love will never, ever run dry or run out. His grace is like a, a teaspoon compared to an ocean that's available that he pours out on each and every person's life. He's holy, and most amazingly, he is with us. We sing the song, you know, Emmanuel, God is with us. Let me just finish on this story. You know, recently I went to uh, my eldest son's Christmas performance, and I won't lie, I loved it. Now, before I'd been to many of these, I was kind of like, I didn't really get the hype associated with it. Certainly before I had kids, I was very much about... Um, trying to look cool. I mean, I wasn't that cool, trust me. Uh, being with the cool kids, you know, trying to you know, be that gooseberry in the, amongst them. And a sound cool, whatever, talk all the, the talk. But there's something about when you become a father or a mother, that kind of transition, that it does have a pretty fundamental change and transformation on you. And, um, you know, I guess now when I think, when I get out of the house, as long as I don't have snot, you know, too obvious on my clothes, uh, I'm fairly happy, you know, really, that's, that's, that's progress. Um, everything else is, uh, is a bonus. But on this, this Christmas performance, one of my favorite moments, and if, in case you're wondering, you know, he was, he was an angel, so um, he was fantastic, by the way. Uh, he had two lines. One of those was a group line, but he was the loudest voice in the group, okay? Um, I mean, he didn't have the major roles like Mary, Joseph, uh, the bait. I mean, definitely not Mary, but, um, 
you know, he, he was an angel. He had a bit of tinsel around the head. He was looking good. He was like, he was happy. He was singing with the song, standing up, sitting down at the right time. Anyway, at the end, they're going to get this bit of a photo shoot going on. And, you know, the headmistress is getting everyone stood up in the right place. I'm there with a camera, and I'm, I'm taking a few snaps. I'm like, get out of the way, headmistress. You're ruining it. Well, I want my son front and center of everything. <laughs> and then I noticed, looking around, that I wasn't the only one who kind of seemed to be in this slight craze of, I don't know, emotion. And there were parents with, I kid you not, cameras with like a foot-long lens, as if they're the paparazzi taking photos of the Kardashians trying to sell it for money. They were, they were obsessed about this occasion, and I'm thinking, I'm there as well. I'm obsessed, obsessed too. And as, as they're about to leave stage, I don't know what overtook me, but I saw them. I mean, we're looking at one another. I just started waving like, hey, you know, that kind of Forrest Gump. Not like a little wave, like a real big, I'm over here. I mean, you could see me. Like, we were looking at each one another. It's not that I needed the wave to let him know I was there, but I was waving. I don't know why. No one told me to do it, but I was like, I love him. And then just as he's about to walk off, he just went, hi, Dad. Oh my goodness, that was a moment. I wish I could bottle that up, you know, take it out every day if I could. It was amazing. And I loved it in that moment. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, my parents would wave at me to try and get my attention, and I hated it. You'd try and like put your head down and like, you know, think, yeah, I can see you, Mom. I can see you, Dad, in the playground, you losers. <laughs> I mean, my kid's not quite got to that age yet. I'm, I'm, I've got to capture all these moments. But that moment, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit like God the Father. You know, he looks at each and every one of us and he's waving at us. And he's not waving goodbye. <laughs> and he's not waving, hello, I'm here. But he's just saying like, I love you. I love you. I want your attention. And it's not because he needs the affection. It's not because he needs the attention that he's insecure, that he's a megalomaniac, that he's desperate for recognition. He simply wants to enjoy a relationship with you. He simply wants to interact with you. Maybe a lost sheep. Maybe someone who excludes himself from being included in that kind of faith with God. He wants to be in a relationship. You know, in that relationship where you can find rest together. You know, when we find a peace that keeps us so solid and so sure of who we are, we don't have to keep pretending to be someone else or something else so sure of what we're doing and where we're going. We don't have to question it or worry about it. There's a confidence that comes in that says, it's, it's all right, I'm all right being me. I'm all right even not being okay because I know I'm with the person who is totally okay. And as we journey together in that relationship, we experience more and more peace, peace with other people, you know, that we start to find ourselves getting on better with others. And then we find more peace mentally on the inside in our heads, that we can put our head down at night without worrying and fretting about what tomorrow's gonna bring. But ultimately, we can experience peace with God Almighty, our Creator, the Good Father, the Good Shepherd, who's gonna look for you wherever you might stray, that He won't let go of you even if you've let go of Him. You know, in one sense, my title was slightly misleading. Are you in need of a rest? And it's not a rest that we need, it's rest. It's a different thing. We can go on a holiday and have a rest, but you know as well as I do, you come home and it can be stressful, catching up with the workload. You know, even if you've got kids, it seems more work having them 24-7 than it is when they're at school during the term. But we can experience rest. It's completely different. It's, 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 it's a state of being 
where, where fear doesn't have a hold on us. It says that perfect love casts out fear in the Bible. And God's love for you, the more we allow it in, the more we let it into our heart and into our minds, into our soul and into our being, we start to find fear and worry and anxiety and depression just dropping off. And instead, peace entering into our mind, a sound mind, a healthy mind, a wealthy mind, a confidence to go through life stronger, with more hope for the future, with more peace in our hearts. It's so powerful. It's so good. And you know, in Global, we talk about you can belong before you believe. You know, we're not here this morning to try and force anything upon you, but really to try and hopefully open our eyes to what is the true meaning of Christmas. This man, Jesus, coming to earth, living a life so that we could live a life back in relationship with God Almighty. We can never, never truly rest unless our hearts and minds are at peace. And I hope and pray as we, we go into this, this season, which can be full of all sorts, that we can start to look to the community, to the relationships around us, but also start looking to God. As you start drawing close to God, God will start drawing close to you. He's waiting. He's waving there. He's eager to, to spend more time with you and to be more known as well. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website.